Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Grotaku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. If you're looking for nice tea and deep dive analysis about otaku things, you've come to the right place. We love our conversation and discussion, and we're back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by... Hello, I am Isabel, and... This is Agnes. So, without further ado, the girl talk you today will be about another MBTI anime character analysis. So, in our comments last time, we've had a listener request us to do specifically ISFJ anime personality types. And the reason why for that is that they are really curious if we can come up with any villains or antagonists with the ISFJ personality type. And I completely understand why ISFJ, ISFJ as a personality type in the MBTI is very, very rarely portrayed as an antagonist, even outside of just anime. I think stories as a whole, ISFJs tend to be uh, protagonists or supporting characters. So they kind of wanted to give us a challenge to see if we could find any antagonists in anime. And I certainly did try my best and I only managed to come up with two. <laughs> so, so a very good challenge to the listener. Uh, but before I begin about specifically these anime characters, as a reminder, this is our personal opinion. And of course, these are fictional characters we are talking about. We are not talking about real life people at all. But for ISFJ, what it stands for is I for introverted, S for sensing, uh, F for feeling, and J for judging. And as a quick reminder, introversion versus extroversion means that you get energy from being with people or you get energy from being alone. Uh, sensing versus intuitive, you are either more detail-oriented, you're more about the physical aspects around you, or uh, or intuitive is exactly as it sounds, you go more by the feel, the vibe of things. Uh, F versus T is basically Agnes versus me. Um, feelers are people who care a lot about emotions, and they're very good at understanding people's emotions. And Ts are people who are very logical, they're very good at finding patterns, and they struggle a little more when it comes to uh, understanding emotions of other people. People and sometimes themselves. And then finally, J versus P, judging versus perspecting. Judging people tend to be very methodical. They like to have a schedule. They kind of go step by step. And perspecting people are more adaptive. They can go one, five, four, three. And and I even did it in order in that case because I am a J, but um, but they are more adaptive and they tend to be a lot more spontaneous than J's. So that's a quick rundown of the letters one more time. And as usual, what I did is I gave the entire team a list of ISFJ anime characters and they picked uh, which ones they wanted to be discussed for this week's episode. So I'm going to start off with the four that the that the girls, uh, Isabel and Agnes, were both interested in discussing. And then what I'm going to do is have them pick one of the other person's two uh, that they picked that was different to sort of finish off the episode. Uh, but for all we know, maybe all four of them will be covered. Um, first things first, uh, ISFJs are kind of interesting in the fact that I think they are unfortunately one of the most stereotypical personality types found in anime. The first thing is that they tend to be girls. Uh, girl ISFJ characters tend to way, way, way uh, overtake boys in just numbers. And that maybe does have to do kind of with the actual gender sort of percentage-wise of ISFJs of the general population. Uh, ISFJs are one of the most common, most popular personality types, but they are mostly dominated by women. 
And uh, one thing I do want to note really quickly is that this is an actual scientifically proven aspect is that personalities are determined in two ways. 50% of it is determined by nurture. So that is our environment, the way that our parents raised us, the way that people affect us around us. And then 50% of it depends on nature. So that is the actual genetics of things because yes, personality is tied with genetics. And what I think is interesting about percentages is that currently ISFJs are mostly dominated by women and have a larger percentage in the overall population. But that doesn't mean that's going to be like that forever because that 50% nurture is very, very heavily, um, you know, implicated by culture around us. And I think you're going to see why it makes sense as to stereotypically women tend to be more ISFJs and how and why I think that it could actually change and the gender starts to get a little more balanced at least between these MBTIs. I personally think so just because of how culture is changing around us. But as a whole, ISFJ is the standard nice girl when it comes to anime. They are, you know, shy. Uh, they tend to, their stories tend to uh, center around, uh, center on self-esteem specifically. Um, they're the girl who, you know, has a lot of talent, but they lack self-confidence and they kind of like, and the reason why they're into the male, uh, the male lead is because the male lead sees something in them that they don't see in themselves. Uh, they're sort of like the Nadashikos is what I like to say. Uh, and they're very commonly the main love interest for guys in regards to anime. So part of the sort of trickiness in picking my characters this week is I want to make sure and pick some characters that are more variety, more complex than the usual stereotype we see with ISFJs. Um, because it is a little unfortunate that they get portrayed as sort of like the basic female love interest, which I just don't think does it justice. I mean, we have a member uh, of our anime trending team. She's an editor as well, and she's an ISFJ. And I think Agnes and Isabel, you've both met her and you guys know that she's not just the standard not a shikol at all. You know, there's a lot to her because she's a human being. And so... Uh, so hopefully the list I picked today will kind of so, will show that sort of quote unquote basicness that we typically see in anime characters with ISFJs, but also show that complexity within that personality type as well. Uh, so with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and start off with the first one, which is kind of antagonist, but she is also a protagonist at the same time. She's a very complicated character. I think she's probably one of the most complicated characters on this list, but it's Mika Igarisha from Skip and Loafer. Uh, she is the girl who uh, started off kind of um, petty and um, antagonistic towards Mitsumi. She was kind of judgmental of her. And, um, and she was kind of like being a mean girl towards her really, but not in a way that's so blatant that you think of like Regina George of mean girls. Uh, but then throughout the series, she actually grows close to the girls and she becomes genuine friends with them. So she goes from an antagonistic ish sort of role to uh, essentially part of the team of protagonists. So, uh, first question is, this one is obviously one that both of you two picked. Uh, did that surprise you guys to see her listed amongst the list because of her more antagonistic element? Or did you guys actually think it fit in with what you guys know about ISFJs? I think it really fits into the ISFJ nice girl in the sense that, unlike the typical like nice girl that you see who's like all very nice and just kind of like... Um, 
the quiet one and not really that calculating. The ISFJ I've encountered, the, at least the ones that have gone down the more toxic path, kind of emulate Mika in that sense where a lot of their toxicity and the more manipulative sort of cunning elements comes out of someone who's very insecure mm-hmm. and someone who's very sensitive about their surroundings and especially how they appear mm-hmm. to other people. So when I saw Mika uh, Egarashi and then seeing that she eventually transforms into being part of the protagonist like cast really shows that she had a lot of character development from start to finish. But it's unfortunate because there are some very uh, sad ISFJs who somehow deterred into like, the toxic path and they don't find that group of friends that can help support them and be better. So I'm really glad that we managed to point out like Mika Egarashia as like somebody who would, could have been a very toxic ISFJ to somebody who has become more healthy and more accepting of herself and that she doesn't need to be sort of like the it girl. Right, because that's how she wanted to present herself in Skip and Loafer was to be the girl that would be like, pick me, pick me. When the reality was that she just needed to be a little bit more secure about herself and be okay with the fact that there are all sorts of people around her and nobody needs to participate to be a group. That's exactly right. And you touch on a uh, you touch on several points about her that is very imperative to the ISFJ. Uh, one thing about ISFJs is that they do feel very basic like they themselves feel like they're basic people and it's actually a point of insecurity for them especially those who are less secure about themselves especially those who are less um you know uh what's the right word Uh, assertive especially ones that are less assertive about themselves and they're more turbulent uh they feel this inherent feeling of them being a basic human being and it bothers them a lot and they really want to stand out And it goes to a point sometimes where it becomes toxic and it goes a little too far where they start getting envious of the other people around them who seem to just stand out naturally on their own while they have to work to do it. And it just hurts them in that sense. Of course, not realizing that quite literally everyone stands out because every person is a unique human being. And so but they just don't see see it because they kind of think to themselves that they are more traditional and they are aware that they are more traditional. And by traditional, I don't mean like conservative values or anything like that. I just mean that they're methodical in the way they think and methodical in the way they've lived. Their parents, you know, the way their parents live and their parents' relationship will probably affect them in a very large way that's not rebellious, but rather following in line of the pattern. And so, uh, so that's what I mean by traditional specifically. And and but because they are, you know, traditional in the fact that they are kind of aware that they are traditional, it bothers them and they really want to stand out and they can they can grow envious of other people around them when that happens. Uh, but I think another thing about uh, Igarisha that, you know, you kind of see very early on as well is that. On top of her more toxic element, there is a nurturing element to her. Uh, You know, she buys all these, like, personalized gifts to her friends. uh, And that's because she pays attention to every little thing they do. And, you know, uh, her relationship with Aunt Nal in uh, Skip and Loafer is very important. And it was also, uh, uh, you know, important for both sides in that regard. And, uh, you know, it. And after they became friends, uh, Mika was constantly texting Aunt Nell, checking in on her and buying specific gifts for her. That's a very mom-nurturing side of ISFJs that come out a lot. And usually, unfortunately, in a lot of anime, that's the only side of their personality that anime likes to focus on because that's the more feminine slash, you know, quote-unquote attractive side of them. 
But I think it's important that they're able to, you know, uh, layer that into the fact that Mika has some toxic elements of ISFJs as well. So, uh, Isabel, I, you know, I, we've talked about this in the past uh, with Agnes because Agnes does have ISFJ friends. And so um, she has examples outside of just like our anime trending member. But, you know, uh, Erin uh, is the ISFJ in our anime trending group. So, you know her. But I'm curious if you've ever connected Mika with anyone else in your family or, um, you know, or friends in regards to this part particular personality type and how it reflects in Mika as well. Yeah, so actually, um, ISFJ, my sister is ah, one. So. Oh, okay. uh, here we go. She is a very great example of one, I feel like. Uh, and so before we did this podcast, I also went over the characters with her. Like, do you see yourself in this character? So I think she'll be excited to listen to this as well and see nice. what kind of characters okay. represent her in anime. Um, but yeah, I definitely see her traits in Mika, like in general, uh, my sister, you know, is very detail-oriented, mm -hmm. um, and she's mm -hmm. always consistent. It's something that I can always rely on, like, to yes. a point that's very predictable as well for me. <laughs> um, so, But it's like the dependability factor of the ISFJ, yeah. right? That's mm -hmm. really nice, yeah. Especially for both of us who are peas, we're just kind of like, ah, you know, yeah. a bit all over the place. <laughs> Anything happened, we're just going with the flow, which she personally doesn't like too much on my end. Um, she kind of hates that, and it's consistent <laughs> of her hating it every time. So I more cater to her because it matters for her. Um, and so it's very interesting when... Mika also has this, you know, his consistent mm -hmm. behavior and always mm -hmm. trying to, you know, look out for others, but then also, you know, also sensing kind of what's going on in that group, which is the first thing that she notices when Mitsumi joins uh, the group is that, you know, you need to stay with the status quo. You're like doing mm -hmm. something different. Mm -hmm. she, yeah. she doesn't like that, yeah. right? And, and so. that was the traditional part mm -hmm. I was mentioning, you know, not I'm not talking about values at all, but that sort of methodicalness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I see a lot of that in my sister. Like, if things don't go this way, she's like, she can feel very anxious about it. Or, you know, if one thing doesn't go right in her yep. day, she'll continue thinking about it throughout the day. And my job as a P, I guess, is for her to make it to make her forget about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Use distract. Yeah, I distract her. It's funny because you say that you tend to um, a compromise to her because of the fact that you're European, you're spontaneous, and she's very much not. Is my experience is if a J is very close to another P, it tends to be the P who tends to give the compromises so they can fit into the J's more scheduledness. I'm definitely that way with my relationship with Shauna. Uh, Shauna <laughs> is very spontaneous, but with me in particular, she always asks ahead of time and plans things out. And she says it's kind of become second nature to her now. It's definitely helped by the fact that she's very close to her mom and her. Her mom is a very hardcore J, so she's all she's always had to do that already with her mom. So switching it over to me wasn't that big of an issue. But I do think about that because all the typical stuff of like planning ahead of time with me, she she never does with anyone else. But it's because she knows that I'm such a J that it matters to me. So she kind of compromises to me, and I appreciate that. And I'm sure your sister appreciates that as well with you, Isabel. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, mm -hmm. Alrighty, so uh, that is the first one I wanted to cover. I thought Mika was just an excellent example of an ISFJ, a very complex ISFJ character, and I thought worthy of showcasing this case because, once again, it does suck. I think that ISFJ anime characters tend to be very standard and stereotypical female love interests, and I think there are a lot more to them than what we typically see, and Mika's like a perfect example of that. 
Uh, the second one that I have on the list is my only other antagonist. This one does stay as an antagonist all the way until the very end. They don't stop and become a protagonist at any point. But uh, that is Berthold, or I probably butchered his uh, pronunciation, but Berthold from uh, Attack on Titan. So he was one of the three spies who came from, uh, who came to Paradise Island. And he, spoiler alert, but I think everyone knows about this already. Um, he is the Colossal Titan. And it was very surprising when it was revealed that he was a part of the group. because, and, and on top of that, the Colossal Titan of all things. Because he had always come off as the very standard nice guy who was always very calm and taking care of people. And, you know... Uh, making sure everyone is okay and stuff like that. And, and only for it to be revealed that he was actually the colossal titan who was responsible for killing lots and lots and lots of people. So that is my other antagonist that I have found in regards to this list. And Isabel, I'm going to start off with you because I know that that plot twist hit you. You said that was one of your favorite plot twists in anime that you've seen before. So, you know, with Berthold being on this list of the ISFJ, do you see it? Do you see how those elements of you know uh that personality type you know that particular character is with within Berthold. <clears throat> right so obviously I didn't think of him as an ISFJ but now that you know we look into it or I really think about it I can I can see him as that type um obviously in the beginning I th also thought he was kind of this you know caring kind of generous character that everyone could be friends with um and but when it's later revealed that you know he's an enemy to the people on paradise island it's that you realize that from his perspective he is very you know loyal and wants to carry out his duty as a warrior so i think that kind of like sense of loyalty and fulfilling what he's supposed to be doing is very present as an isfj and him you know Obviously, he does let Reiner kind of like take up his space, but also, you know, if things doesn't go according to what he wants as well, he kind of, he shows signs of just changing or not changing character, but kind of a little bit of a meltdown, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meltdown. He freaks. Yeah. Like he freaking freaks at the out. the very last is, part too. Which is so scary, right? Um, I don't know. At least to me, it's scary. And I kind of think of my sister when she blows up. I'm like, I never want to see that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's so scary to me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen a couple ISFJ meltdowns. They're not pretty. Yeah, I don't know. It just sticks to me. Like, once they melt down, it's like, I, I, I remember it for a long time. And I'm like, let's not get to that point. So maybe that's why I cater as well. So, um, <laughs> yep. But yeah, what has your experience been with ISFJs, like, melting down? And did you see that in Bertold as well, Agnes? Oh, it, it was bad. Mine was really bad. It <laughs> oh, wasn't really? because of me, but it was because a group... This is going to be a slightly long story, um, but I think it will make sense in the end when I describe it a bit more in detail. So the ISF ISFJ friend is already very like a traditional type of person. The group of friends, however, are not traditional type of people. They pulled a very mean prank on her um, in which she has a phobia of bananas because when she was younger, she was assaulted by a monkey when there were bananas in the room. So she has like a monkey, like a animal related trauma with that. And during class, the friend group thought it would be funny if they could prank her by opening up a banana and eating in front of her face. And she like freaked out. 
because it was like it was such a traumatic thing and it was like such a change in environment that she had like a complete meltdown and she basically like bolted out of the lecture hall too and she was like crying in the bathroom and then she basically like walked home she ditched class I had to like follow up with her and being like yo are you okay and she was just like not having it at all um and I basically blew up to the rest of our friend group because I'm like are you guys stupid like why did you guys do something like that like they thought it was like a fun harmless prank but it really caused a bad meltdown for her and caused her to have a lot of trust issues too so I forced them to basically write an an I'm sorry card and basically apologize to her because it was bad so well yeah that's crazy she just totally yeah yeah, she it was a complete meltdown. I was just like, oh my god, because I couldn't even fathom the fact that because some of because she's used to also them kind of like not pranking her, but kind of like being sly about it, but like opening a banana in front of her, like only one person doing it. But because it was like a whole group of friends who were slowly doing it throughout the entirety of the class, that she kind of like blew up. So it was, uh, yeah, it was I remember that story, sure. and that was like terrible of them to do that. Not gonna lie. It's it's a pretty terrible story, yeah, but that's the ISFJ, ISFJ, and funnily enough, she's also the toxic one. Yeah, too, so, so. Uh, so yes, ISFJs, they, they don't take well to changes, and, um, and the biggest thing about ISFJs is that they really, really, really try to hold it in, is the thing, and they hold it, yeah. and they hold it, and they hold it, and they have no outlet, is the other issue is uh, when it comes to what leads ultimately to these meltdowns is, you know, I like, you know, ENFJs, we've talked about this. They hide a lot of their problems as well. But ENFJs at the same time, they do like to do an outlet in the fact that they find someone else and they might not rant about the problem that was like hanging over their heads, but they'll talk about other things to kind of like relieve themselves and, you know, feel better. And eventually the stuff that was hanging over their heads dissipate and they just kind of move on and no one knows about it because they don't mention it. But with ISFJs, they don't do that. They just hold it and hold it and hold it inside until finally it just breaks. And then, um, and that's a thing because they really care about the overall harmony of the group and it's very hard for them to even imagine ranting and complaining about someone to another person or or, um, even if it's completely separate like somehow they feel like that it makes them selfish for some reason and so uh, and so that's something that a lot of ISFJs have to grapple with and they eventually learn um they eventually learn how to deal with it as well in a more healthy manner. Uh, but with Berthold in particular, yes, he he has a meltdown when things don't go according to his way. But like Isabel had pointed out, is his villainy is over the fact that he's so loyal to the people and the cause that even when he knows that it's propaganda, that what the country has that he came from has told him was all wrong and inaccurate, he still commits to it because he feels like this is the quote unquote right thing to do for his people, regardless of the indication of whether it's right to just follow along a corrupt government for that matter. And that's definitely his flaw. And that's an ISFJ flaw as well. They do commit to certain values so hard that they are only able to see it in a black and white manner they're not able to think about it in a morally graying manner and if it is morally graying they admit to it they kind of brush it aside and try to force it to be black and white instead to make it work within the context of their morals and their values and their traditions and so um and you definitely see that with Berthold as well uh, and also one last note is Berthold had a crush on annie 
And that crush had huge influences to the story in regards to the actions that he took later. And that's also very accurate to ISFJs. Um, and we've all had personal experiences with this, or at least Agnes and I, and I think, Isabel, you probably will with your sister, is that uh, when they get a crush on someone, it's it's very intense and it's very fast. And it's... Um, it's very, very hard for them to let go, essentially. And, and, I'm, and I'm not even talking about just those that are toxic. Like, even those who are, not, who are healthy ISFJs that I know have this tendency to fall very fast and hold on very, very tightly. And Berthold's uh, actions towards Annie was exactly that. And it ended up spelling his doom because of his inability to essentially let, like, let her go and his insistency on, like, rescuing her and like uh, and having a crush on her and stuff like that so uh, that's my final element I have in regards to Berthold uh, Isabel I don't know if you've had this experience with your sister about the falling fast and holding hard thing but that's just something that I've observed and at least based on Agnes's stories of the ISFJ she knows that she's also observed as well yeah I think it's quite similar um I'm not sure if my sister fell fast in particular but um at least uh in her relationship, I feel that, you know, she definitely feels very strongly for the other person, which is very sweet overall. Um, and so if anything happens, I, I will also be on the watch out. But <laughs> Isabel's like waiting around the corners like, I'm spontaneous. I can adapt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to be ready for anything, I feel like. Um, but it's very sweet, though. I feel like it's right there in the moment. And if the, you know, ISFJ partner and... Um, whoever their partner may be, I think they're very lucky to have this. This is why you have, um, I guess, like, at least relationships in anime that are very sweet overall and work out. So especially with the ISFJ character, that's why. So, mm -hmm. Alrighty. So uh, the second, uh, sorry, the third uh, character on the list that the two, the two wanted to talk about is Gojo, but not... Gojo from Jujutsu Kaisen, to make that very, very clear, he is not, that man is not an ISFJ. Uh, we are talking about Gojo from My Dress Up Darling. And the reason why I picked Gojo is that I think if he was a woman, if he was a girl in the anime, you'd be more bored of him because you'd seen him a hundred thousand times in regards to female characters. But because he is a boy, that suddenly makes his appearance a little more meaningful because, you know, once again, we tend to associate ISFJ personality types or in stereotypes with women. And we rarely see them really reflected in men. Um, the only one that I mentioned so far was Berthold, who was an antagonist of all things. So we could see it in like a bad light. But Gojo is the protagonist and he embodies a lot of the ISFJ, uh, you know, character tropes, which is stuff like very sweet and soft and dedicated and loyal. Um, he's very homely in regards to taking care of people. In fact, he he kind of automatically takes care of people. He enjoys taking care of people for that matter. Um, and that's why he really enjoys making cosplay for uh, modding because it makes him feel good to see how happy she is when he does something for her. Um, he also deals with self-esteem issues. Like I said, a very common thread in regards to ISFJ anime characters or ISFJ characters as a whole. But once again, usually relegated to girls who where a guy inspires it, but this time it's flipped, is that he he's the one with the self-esteem issues and a girl inspires it instead. 
And so, and his self-esteem issues for, uh, in particular for the male lead, I want to know is different from a lot of the stereotypical male lead self-insert because he's not really awkward. If you think about it, he's not an awkward guy at all. He's just very quiet and he's just unsure about himself. But when it comes to communication, he actually has no issues with talking to people. And we see it multiple times. Like outside of Mari, he's talking to other people and he sounds very normal. There's no awkwardness to him. Um, it's just deep down, he feels unworthy. And so, um, and that's something that Gojo has specifically in My Dress Up Darling. And so, um, and I'm curious to hear, you know, both of you two pick Gojo. So I'm sure you guys had a reason for picking that, you know, in regards to him as an ISFJ anime characters. I, I kind of, you know, wonder, like, did it surprise you guys? Or, you know, do you see sort of like an importance to the fact that he is an ISFJ? For Gojo, I picked him specifically because I actually have an, a male ISFJ friend. And when I put Gojo on top of him, or when I put him on top of Gojo, it's basically like a one-to-one -one ratio. They're exactly the same in terms of like boiled down habits. And you make a good point that, you know, like the ISFJ male has no problem talking to other people. Rather, they're very, because they're very sensitive and very in tune with their emotions, they have no problem talking with anybody or managing any kind of social situation. So they are great people to talk to both like men and women at the same time, which is why my ISFJ friend had no problem finding like a girlfriend and then eventually having like a wider friendship circle as well. But the one thing that I wanted to highlight for Gojo was the fact going back to like the whole idea about being very meticulous and very methodical. I read about it online that for a lot of ISFJs, the part about being very meticulous and methodical is a one-shot path only. It is a one path that they never deviate from and they will do it over and over and over and over again and will achieve spectacular results. Which is very interesting because compared to the rest of us where let's say like Isabel or myself were a little bit more spontaneous, we will maybe follow like a path of like, let's say studying, for example, right? But then at one point we kind of just deviate and we try to come up with new ways on how to study because we're just like, oh, it's ineffective or oh, you know, it doesn't really suit us. So we try to find different ways to do it, right? Um, but for ISFJs, and particularly for my friend, and this will relate back to Gojo too, is that when my friend studies for an exam, he will make mock tests for himself. And that's how he studies. And that's how he did it all the way from the beginning of college all the way into medical school. It's just mock exams, mock exams, mock exams over and over and over and over again. And he will always make new test questions for himself to the point that he got recognized by a lot of his professors for his exams and they asked him to use his materials. Gojo is very similar in that with the way that he practices his techniques. He is so enamored by the Hina dolls that his grandpa makes that he only focuses on making those types of dolls. He does never deviates, he never gets creative, he never tries to think outside of the box. He does what he does best and that's how he gets optimal results. And funnily enough, it's actually his grandpa who tells him like, you know, it's okay to spice things up a bit, you know, it's okay to explore other avenues of creativity, which he ends up doing into his cosplaying. And that's what Gojo finds very uh, relieving. And I also read online that the ISFJ, although they seem very like meticulous, very straight, narrow path by the book, 
they kind of crave that kind of adventure and romanticism that they don't get from that path, but they still stick to that path because it is the tried and true method that always works. So for Gojo's case, because he does this tried method of going home, painting his dolls, goes to sleep, and nothing changes, when Marin comes into his life, he does feel a little bit awkward because he's like, oh, you know, this is like a really big change in my life, I'm not very comfortable with it. But then he realizes that there is an element of fun, there's an element of spontaneity, and he's more willing to accept that and basically go along with her. And that's why the story of My Dress Up Darling works, is because it's basically Gojo coming out of his shell. So it's really nice to see that for a male ISFJ characters and basically seeing that in my in real life friend too. I just think it's funny how you said it was a one-to-one ratio. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally a one-to-one ratio. Like there's no difference whatsoever. I'm just like, when you mentioned his name, I was sitting there. I was like, oh my God. It is <laughs> I exactly guess it's the, the feeling same. that Medi had when he watched Bochi the Rock and uh, one of the girls, uh, Nijika is an ENFJ, which is me. He was like, I, I can't see Nijika. I just see Gracie. I guess it's kind of similar to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel with some of the other character types too for MVTI. It's like, I will overlay you guys over and I'm just like, there's no difference. There's no super... In, uh, there's a superimposition. They are all the same regardless of which way you turn <laughs> And them. also on your point, by the way, of the fact that ISFJs do crave adventure, but they keep sticking to the traditional things. Uh, that goes back also at the very beginning with Mika as well, where I talk about uh, ISFJs, they feel very basic and they want to stand out and be more unique. And yet they can't help but commit to the standard that they've already set for themselves. And it's kind of a cycle that's very frustrating to them as well. And part of ISFJ's growth as just people, you know, as they get older, as they get more experience, is learning that you don't have to commit to it just because it works. I'm sure it's comfortable. I definitely know that. I'm an ENFJ. I also get very comfortable with methodical things. But it's like there's certain points where you do kind of have to let go and step away from what you typically do. And that's always a step for them to learn, essentially. But it's I think it is interesting that there is this uh, constant push and pull of where they desire they aren't like this, and yet they still end up committing to what feels more familiar in this regard so uh, a interesting way to tie in the two characters that we've discussed as well uh but yeah Isabel what about you you know you also picked Gojo uh, on your list so what reason did you pick him and especially because he is different and um or I mean gender wise you know between uh your sister so I'm curious to hear like you know what was your thought when you saw him on that list uh... oh yeah I definitely wasn't surprised either uh just because of the way uh as Ag's Agnes explained it kind of the way that he acts, uh, the way that he works, and then also his interactions with Marin overall. Uh, the one thing that I'd like to highlight is that he he kind of represents the person that is very yeah. easy to work with. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm, and, and like you said, reliable as well. So because he's consistent in what he does, um, this is kind of can be tied into, you know, real life or work in general. I feel like ISFJs are people that are uh like your might be your favorite type mm. of coworker to work with uh because <laughs> yes i can verify that too my isfj uh-huh. friend he's great working with projects with he will get the job done like his portion of the project absolutely five out of five and will always work ahead of time <laughs> you don't have to worry a single thing about him <laughs> oh my gosh yes so he like the perfect group member right um in yes. a project yes uh, <laughs> And I think that's similar to one of my coworkers who's just like, he's, he's also just so consistent that like, if I ask him a question, he'll know the answer or if he doesn't, he'll go find the answer. And it's just so nice to talk to him as well, um, just about work. And then also like 
because we're required to hit this many numbers. He's always trying to be consistent too. Like you can see him striving for that goal and even more. And then also just trying to help out other people as well. And, you know, just not just him, uh, you know, but then also everyone around them as well. So I think that's something that ISFJs do because you can see that where Gojo not only helps Mari, but he's open yeah, to helping mm-hmm. other cosplayers, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of sweet as well. And he, you know, he doesn't, um, you know, take it too uh, bad or anything like that. But I can also see how ISFJs can be taken advantage of in that point because they're so nice and not... Yep. They can't say no, right? So I can see yeah. you know, someone like Gojo taking on more projects than he can handle. I think he probably did that at one point, actually, maybe. Oh, he, got, he, he, he definitely sick, burnt right? himself out at one point. He pulled a lot of all-nighters throughout yeah, the series. See, so just to like, yeah, just to like complete that project or do it, like they'll be willing to work so hard for it and not take breaks um, and then forget to, to care about themselves or take on, you know, more than what they can handle. And so it's like kind of a reminder for them to like step back if they can and try to, you know, focus on themselves sometimes. Or sometimes they need that reminder from coming from someone uh, for Gojo, maybe coming from his grandfather or someone like that. I also mm-hmm. want to know now if you pointed out with the project stuff, uh, ISFJs are perfectionists. And that's with, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the thing with they them. Are. That's their, uh, that's their SE specifically. So uh, speaking of cognitive functions, SE is extrovert sensing. So that's taking in the details of their environment around them. Uh, that makes them huge perfectionists. They are very, they care about the details. They will stress about the details. They don't feel comfortable and they until they think every single I is dotted and every T is crossed. Like that's that sort of person they are. And we see it with Gojo and that's, why his you know uh you know clothes designing that's why his doll making is so good because he is so meticulous and he wants to follow it every bit by bit and the uh you know the flip side is that they rather than the fact that they lack creativity because i don't think they do lack creativity is that they get so absorbed into the perfection and the detail that they're unable to let their minds expand to more creative thoughts and different and, and different ideas. And so that's something, and that's part of Gojo's character development is that he learns to kind of like let go of the smaller details, let his mind expand, expand and catch on to more creative things and creative ideas. Uh, but in real life, you know, yes, ISFJs are huge perfectionists, and uh, and you know what I and what I will say even is uh, pulling in Mika and Berthold for that matter. Both of those two were perfectionists as well. They needed things to go exactly the way down to the every little bit of detail, and so um, and it's it makes them incredibly powerful for you guys to have on their team. That much is certain. <laughs> and sometimes you just gotta remind them, like, hey, you don't you don't have to get everything that perfect it doesn't have to be a hundred and five percent perfection like 95 percent is pretty good but usually they still end up being a hundred percent 105 percent perfect anyway because that's that's the standard they set for themselves so <laughs> yeah. alrighty. so uh the next uh, the last one that both of you two had picked is uh sako from kimini todoki um i actually don't even know if kimini todoki has an english title officially because that it's a it's from an anime that's quite long ago uh i chose sako because i think she kind of set the standard a bit in regards to that particular shoujo protagonist who is very shy and thinks lowly of herself when 
In reality, she's this really sweet and loyal and caring and motherly character. Uh, and she just needs someone to help her out of her shell and help her realize that she's worth more than she sees herself as. And she like she either sees herself as negative or boring, which I guess is another form of negative. But like her negative is like worse. Um, and so uh, and so and realizing that she herself has to that she, there's unique factors to her that makes her special and quirky in that regard. So, uh, so I thought it was interesting because I do kind of think she set the standard for the shoujo protagonist for quite some time. Uh, there was definitely a lot of copycats in regards to characters that acted like her, and it eventually even transferred over, I think, to the shonen label where a lot of the female love interests were also similar to her in that regard as well. Uh, the only difference is that they aren't the main characters anymore, and so they get less complexity and less nuance and less sort of internal monologues that we get to hear about her inside her head. Uh, but yeah, so that's my main reason why I picked Sawako on the list. I just think it's interesting how she kind of set the standard. And, you know, uh, turning the mic back over to you two, uh, you guys both picked Sawako as well. And was it because you guys were also thinking about the fact that maybe she set a standard somehow? Or, uh, you know, my second question really is, uh, how do you think she still stands out and, you know, and why she was able to set the standard to a bunch of more shallow versions versus, uh, especially versus the shallow versions of the ISFJ uh, female character. Yeah, I chose her because, you know, she, to me, she stands out, even though, like, her character design is some, you know, just, like, kind of nothing too special, in a sense, uh, if you just look at her. And, but then, like, her, like, she just stands out because she's so kind to other people. And not only that, I think... The thing that's funny is that how sometimes she's just so naive about things, uh, especially in the beginning of the series. It's funny that, you know, that was something that drew me in, at least, because I wasn't sure how she would react to th things like, you know, with her friends or some experience that she had never had. Um, so I think especially for me when I was watching when I was younger, I thought that, you know, her experiences were something that I would experience in high school or things like that. So. I found it something that I could I could kind of look up to her and then also, you know, look into exactly what um you know my life might like might be in school. And uh it's also just the fact that, you know, she's so you know, she's shy, but that she's also is she also has that kind of sensing or feeling part of her that she wants to make more friends and wants to build those connections with the people in the school. And then obviously when Kazehaya notices her, it's, you know, something different, it's a different feeling. Um, and so her navigating these feelings and then her growing as a person, whereas before, you know, people were just scared of her. She was kind of like an outcast class, uh, outcast in the class and people didn't pay attention to her before. But then she like starts, uh, we start learning more about her. That's kind of, yeah, I just kind of liked the, her journey overall from being, you know, this nobody in the class kind of to, you know, somebody and then also just showing her personality towards others and being very kind to them in general. Um, but yeah, those were my initial thoughts. Um, what did you think of Saoko, um, Agnes? I definitely agree that Saoko was the pinnacle ISFJ shoujo girl, but the reason why she stands out, I think, is because during the time of shoujo manga, when it was in circulation, 
a lot of social manga focuses on the drama about you know people liking other people when they're not supposed to you know forbidden tattoos tattoos sorry i just thought that was funny (laughs) (laughs) tattoos sorry taboos um or like let's say like you know you're cheating on somebody else and everyone's like oh my god or like there's a misunderstanding because you know a guy looks like he's kissing a girl when he's not supposed to and everyone's like oh my gosh but kimi no toloke is a very earnest shoujo about a girl who has very simple, earnest, and relatable, like Isabel said, a relatable dream of wanting to find friends or finding friendship in high school and really setting that standard of a very easy in terms of like it's not that turbulent as compared to some other really trashy shoujos, mm-hmm. um, but very calming, very soothing, and very reassuring towards teenagerhood, which is very turbulent already, that everything is going to be okay and that you should be finding friends. You should find people to connect with and break out of your shell because this is the time to do it, right? If you weren't able to do it in middle school, this is the time to do it. And Sawako's journey is a very earnest one that I think a lot of shoujo fans love and still remember to this day because it stands out from all of the other trashy shoujo that focuses too much on the drama and the serial and the sensationalism of it all. Yeah, and um, and on that note as well with uh, Sawako specifically as she opens up and she... Uh, you know, makes friends and, of course, gets a love interest in that regard. Um, I Something that always stood out for me about Sako is that she is very funny. Like, the, some, the things she talks, and not even just her naivete. Sometimes when she's just, like, saying things and reacting to certain things, like, it's just funny. And ISFJs, I want to know, have, like, this very unique sense of humor that's, like, hard to describe. And I don't know if you two are capable of describing it when you think about it. But, you know, when I think about my my ISFJs in my life, it's just they have this sort of soft humor that just cracks me up at times. And I think it's the way they say it. And I think it's the I think it's how serious they say it, which kind of, like, lends into the whole idea of them seemingly being naive when sometimes they're not naive at all. They're just making a joke. And I really love that element of Eyes FJs. It's a quirk of them, I think, that just doesn't really show up a lot. And we definitely see it in Sawako specifically in her story as well. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when, it, when I'm talking about this like particular type of humor that they have? I think so, because I can kind of see it in Gojo too with like his particular brand of humor. And that's why all the girls really flocked him. And I think the other part of it is because the ISFJ, because they're so like traditional and thinking that, oh, we need to abide by social cues and by the status quo, that they think that certain phrases are meant for certain social situations and they will apply mm. it when it needs to. But because they do it with such a like a sense of naivety because they're like trying it out for the first time, but they know that it has to happen in this particular scenario, the weird mishmash of the two elements just makes it very funny and actually diffuses the situation rather than actually like contributes it as a joke. It just becomes its own joke of itself. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I know, it's just, I, I like it. I think it's very unique to them, at least personally. Yeah, because I can kind of see it in Aaron yes! too sometimes when we that's interact exactly with her the last day. Yeah. It's very comforting being in the same room with her. And when she starts laughing and then when she makes like a joke, it's like, you know that it's the joke meant for the situation, mm-hmm. but somehow the way that she says it brings it to a whole new level of sincerity that you're just like, oh. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) it. No, that is exactly (laughs) it. That's a good way to describe it. I see it in Sawako and I see it in my ISFJ friends and, you know, you yourself. But that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. Isabel, do you you have that encounter with your sister? 
Yeah, I find it funny that you you say that just because the other day I was asking her to make these jokes、um, because she loves reading shoujo manga,、mm-hmm. and so I always ask her for her opinion.、Uh, she's also the one who introduced me to Kimini Tadoki because、ah. she had read it. Oh, yeah. So like the other day I was asking, okay, scroll through like the top hundred manga list here and give me your honest opinion on each. And then she went through each one. She's like, yeah, I don't, I don't like this one or something like that, or this one's weird. This one. <laughs> it was just like simple comments, but every one that she said to each one, I I just kept laughing because I just thought her comments are like not unhinged, but it felt unhinged just because of the way that she was so honest with her feelings and just stating what she wanted about the series. And the other surprising thing is how much she had read off of the list itself.、Right. So, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. short yeah. and it's simple, and somehow because、yeah. of the timing of the situation, it's hilarious. So,、mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it.、Um, alrighty, so that is the four that you guys picked together. So now I'm gonna have a little bit of a game, and like not not like a winning losing game sort of thing, but. Uh, Agnes, the two that she picked in her list that、um, you did not pick, Isabel, is Sophie Hatter from Howl's Moving Castle and Gilbert Nightray from Pandora Hearts. And so, which of the two would you rather hear about?、Uh, yeah, I did not pick these two because I have not seen these two. So、um, I'm curious about Sophie Hatter from Howl's Moving Castle and. I just want to hear your thoughts on her as an ISFJ.、Uh, first of all, I'm shocked、so, that you haven't seen Howl's Moving Castle, but okay,、uh, go on, Agnes. One <laughs> <laughs> one of these days we'll do a Gilby Fest with Isabel when we come back over. Yeah, Texas, yeah,、so. no, we need to we need to put that on our to do list for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> love a movie marathon. Um, the reason why I wanted to choose Sophie Hatter is because she is a she is very typical of an ISFJ motherly, nurturing, caring vibe. In a situation where she doesn't need to care at all, but she still does anyway, and the main reason is because she gets involved in Howell's messes all the time, and despite the fact that at the beginning of the story, Sophie actually encounters Howell because Howell's running away from the king's soldiers because the kings want to recruit recruit Howell into a war, but Howell's basically trying to escape. Sophie, for all of her credit, is a normal bystander, works at a hot shop, and then all of a sudden gets swept up into Howell's like whole chase thing because he's trying to hide from the soldiers. And despite the fact that he sort of used her in a way to get away from the soldiers, she's still so inclined to help him regardless. And it turns out Howell is a complete mess of his own throughout the entirety of the series. He's a drama king. He cries. He sobs. He makes a big deal out of things. He's very stubborn. And Sophie's always like, "Now, now, Howell, don't do this to yourself. It's okay. You are still beautiful. Do not worry about it." And there's this <laughs> element of sincerity from Sophie that, although if I was in Sophie's shoes, I would just be like. Just walk out that door. I am not dealing with today. <laughs> so that was why I wanted to highlight Sophie. Was more of like a a comedic factor because Sophie puts up with so much in Howl's Moving Castle, and she's still so very well beloved along among all of、um, Miyazaki's female protagonists for that kind of like mother nurturing aspect of hers. But it doesn't come off as shallow as compared to other like quote unquote mothering、mm-hmm. anime characters that you、mm-hmm. see these days. Because she has a spine, she has the spine to put up with Howl's antics and childish tempers tantrums. She has the spine to say no to the king and the witch who were trying to manipulate Howell into this war, and she has the backbone to say no to all of the people around her who are like 
um, who are like thrown into this chaos. And she's like, no, there will be order in this house when I live in this house. So it's just really nice to see a refreshing, strong ISFJ character who still has those like motherly qualities, but is able to stand up for herself too. I was going to say, um, I'm glad that you find- you mentioned about her having a spine because one thing that is missing from this list is of the four that we spoke about, but we see in Sophie Hatter is guys, ISFJs have sass. <laughs> like they, <laughs> they can have severe sass when they break out of their shell. Yeah. Um, when you, when they're, when all their walls are down and they're with you and they trust you and everything, the, the sass comes out. And it's very, very funny to me, at least, because I get the sass. But, um, um, <laughs> but it's like they do have that sass. And she was sassing Howl in that movie, which was also very funny. Uh, but, you know, Sophie Hatter is one of those characters where I do see Aaron because Aaron has this thing where she might be seemingly complaining about someone being a child where she's like oh such a child such a child and oh yes i do remember that from the last yes, ax she mentioned something like is, that yeah she also kind of says it with endearment <laughs> like she can't help but want yeah. to mother him and want to you know take care of things and that's literally sophie with howl and like let's never forget the break town with his hair dye <laughs> how she- oh my god his hair dye was it was a yeah, catastrophe. And he was just like glooping <laughs> all over the place. It'll make sense when you watch it, Isabel. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, the TLDR with Howell is that he's very particular about the way that he looks, but because Sophie was cleaning a lot of his castle, she accidentally mixed a lot of his dyes, and when he went to go reapply the dye in his hair, it came out like a horrendous color, and he had like a severe meltdown. But it was like it was like a temporary dye too. Like it wasn't like going to be something super permanent. But he made such a big deal out of it, and Sophie's just like, "Well, I was just cleaning your bathroom because you know what, you're a mess." So. Well, de- well deserved. And then she, but then he just like turns into goop. Like he has magic powers. So he like turns into goop because he's having like this whole meltdown, like a temper tantrum essentially over his badly dyed hair. And she just like has the side, like just drags him up the stairs while he's like gooping all over the place. It's hilarious. But I'm like, that's Aaron. Yeah, it's pretty I'm like, good. that's what Aaron would do. So. <laughs> I think you would really enjoy watching Sophie just deal with everyone's antics in this movie and really actually being the only person, like the straight con mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. of the entirety mm-hmm. of the movie because everyone is super dramatic around her too. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, Sophie Hatter is an excellent example of an ISFJ. She embodies everything with the ISFJ. And like I said, the one thing that's kind of missing with the other four that actually shows up in her is that sass. A very motherly sass, but sass regardless. So um Alrighty, so Isabel, she the two that she picked that wasn't on this list is um that that didn't that you guys didn't share was Aoshi from Blue Lock and Rem from ReZero. So which of the two are you interested in hearing about, Agnes? I'm tired of the anime community talking about Rem, so I want to hear about Aoshi from Blue Okay, Blue okay, got it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh first of all, Isabel, uh why don't you explain why you picked Aoshi in your list? Yeah, I picked Aoshi one because uh, he's a male character, and like you said, there's not too many ISFJ uh, female characters. The other thing is, I was just surprised to see him on this list as well because I never thought too much about Aoshi because the way he is as a character in Blue Lock is kind of my observation of him. He's like kind of the timid, uh, timid character who, which 
you, it makes you question the reason why he's even in Blue Lock, uh, because it seems like he doesn't want to become, uh, you know, one of the best strikers or the one of the best soccer players in the series. But he is built. He is probably one of the strongest characters in Blue Lock by itself, like physically. And so he's he kind of leans into the other side, I feel like, of ISFJs, where they he suffers from kind of having almost little to no, no self-confidence in himself uh, to beat the other team. Uh, but when he's when someone asks him to, or when uh, particularly when we meet him, he is um, teamed up with two other people. So he's in a team of three, and Rin, who's kind of like the top top dog, first place person, just tells him to do something. Um, all she kind of acts on his fear of losing or his fear of not showing up for Rin. Uh, and even though when he's scared, he, when he's scared and he becomes basically like a monster, he's like freaking out as he's trying to get a goal. Like he's not thinking and people on the other team can't even predict, you know, what he's going to do next. Uh, so I feel like that's just interesting. Like he can perform uh, when he's kind of forced to, and he can perform obviously because he's already built that muscular figure of his like he obviously he does a lot of training on his on his own in order to have those good physical skills and then the fact that um when he's asked to perform he can do that and and yeah I just thought that was interesting like he, he can be underestimated at times just because he's kind of like very scared and he's even apologizes to the other team like oh I'm sorry about this or that um but then when it comes to actually having him as his opponent he's actually kind of scary so that's the thoughts I had on it. I know I don't know if either of you has seen Blue Lock, but have you seen his character at all or seen any clips I of him? I did meet him. I just looked up his character. Okay. Um But yes, yeah, so what did you think uh, when you did meet him, Gracie? So, uh I do have a quick question for Agnes really quickly. Do you hear the ISFJness in him just the way that Isabel's describing him because I thought she did a good job of describing him. <laughs> Oh, she, yeah, I, I can definitely hear it. And I wanted to make a really interesting remark, too, that I was thinking about. A lot of the confident ISFJ, ISFJs that we mentioned here, or rather the men and then the more confident female ISFJ, they tend to also be, weirdly enough, physically built, <laughs> too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which I think is really interesting, because I think back to Aaron, and I remember the first impression I had of Aaron was, wow, Erin is very fit. She or healthy. is very, like, she's she very strong. Like, <laughs> she is very strong. Like, she might seem, you know, like, she might seem like bigger in terms of, like, you know, like a typical, like, slender woman is, like, considered, like, small versus, like, a bigger woman is, like, maybe, like, a bit wider, but she has, she packs muscle and she's always wearing, like, athletic, um, outfit so she's like wearing like leggings and then she's wearing like a sports bra and i'm just thinking to myself like that's a powerful woman i like that <laughs> and then the second thing is that a lot of the other isfj characters on this list like berthold for example is the colossal titan he has like a massive mm. muscular formation looking um who else is on here uh aoshi is like super duper built in his um in his character design in Blue Lock, Sophie Hatter is when she's in her old form, she's a little bit more stout but very yeah. Like, she was surprisingly kind of strong, woman. and that threw Hal off when she when he realized how strong she was. Yeah, that threw Hal off. Yeah, exactly. And then the the one thing I wanted to make was that even in my in real life comparison with my ISFJ male friend, he actually started 
becoming more like a bodybuilder, like working out more consistently because he had self, um, self-esteem self issues. And because he went to the gym and started exercising more, that's how like he built it up. And that's why he's like considered like one of the more stronger ones out of our entire friend group. Oh, that's too. interesting. <laughs> so I don't know. That was just a very interesting like physical mm. comparison that I have. Obviously, physical like appearance has nothing to do with like personality but i just thought it was funny how a good majority of them kind of match that description too. yeah so uh so aoshi i think is very interesting take of an isfj because he essentially uses his self-esteem issues as a superpower because when he reaches a point of where he has like zero confidence in himself he like freaks out and he starts getting his blue lock you know superpower skills essentially they're not real superpowers but they're basically kind of like superpowers so um and his superpower skills in that regard and so I thought that take of the sort of low self-esteem being part of the core character and turning it into an actual power was kind of cool and kind of unique in what I've seen in anime. So that was the thing that really stood out to me. But yeah, Aoshi is an ISFJ through and through. And I like I don't know if you've convinced yourself, Isabel, when you were describing him, but like when you were describing him, it was basically like ISFJ point, ISFJ point, ISFJ point, like going down the list. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so I always feel like I don't really need to explain why he's an ISFJ. I just think that the way they use his self-esteem that usually is like an obstacle for the character to get through that that's their story arc, but actually turning into a trigger point of like an actual power was just an interesting take I haven't seen in anime before. So yeah. No, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's definitely a, a different type of way to express that i think that's what was surprising to me too the fact that he could lean into that and be super anxious but still you know show off his skills and be super quick i thought that was surprising so but yeah we haven't seen too much of him in the series so i'm hoping when blue lock continues well he'll have his own growth arc or something like that or we'll see more of him in the future Alrighty, so uh, everyone, that is a wrap on our ISFJ anime characters to our one listener who had been commenting and asking if we can find a villain. I hope that the two that I did manage to find is what you were looking for. At least one of them stayed an antagonist while the other one, you know, um, know, became part of the team of protagonists. But that being said, it was a little difficult, but I hope you guys like our selection that we picked and hopefully see the complexities in all of them. And um, and that is all we have in regards to today. But we will be back next week with another fun topic. So I hope you'll be here next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.